0: Love Talk Radio. Great join, good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese meditation bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the wisest counsel and most fascinating people in the business community from all around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business, and uh, if you are an art of the CEO devotee, you will call William Ammerman describing the hidden persuaders employed by artificial intelligence and psychotechnology. William is the uh, author of Invisible Brands, the Marketing in the Age of Automation, Big Data, and Machine Learning. And he's, he's really led the marketing transformation for Capital Broadcasting, Tribune Media, Hearst, and he's now the Executive Vice President of, for, of Digital Media for Engage Media. And he's really become an accepted voice in the digital persuasion revolution. And in the first uh, episode uh, earlier, William detailed how it all worked, the major technological leaps that have made machines, uh, humankind's trusted advisors. And some of you who responded were a little justifiably frightened, uh, but many more wanted to know how they could tap into these high-tech systems and cash in. So, Literally backed by popular demand, we have invited William to give us a primer on the art of cyber seduction, uh, marketing. And so whether you are a (laughs) technical conglomerate CEO seeking to get in touch with your customers or you're operating a seller startup and you just want the best possible tools, pull up your chair and join us in this feast of wisdom, all carefully cuisined to make your career thrive and your ventures flourish. William, it's uh, so good to have you return and share with us the secrets of super tech marketing and all the profits that that entails.
1: Great to be back, and uh, thanks for having me.
0: Oh, okay. Yes, it is It is good to have you here. And, William, just to help us understand the force to work here right right off, you developed an original term for uh, the burgeoning field. Uh, you called it psychotechnology, which you say has uh, is enabled by four recent innovations what are these tech innovations?
1: I'll, I'll keep it brief uh, first of all we are personalizing information to the point where we can deliver customized information to you through advertising through uh, text messages through all kinds of uh, your your facebook feed is different from my facebook feed we're looking at different information. And so the personalization of information is trend number one. The second trend is that we're able to test messaging using science. We can A, B test marketing messages across millions of people to to see which ones are working, which ones appeal to different audiences, and that's a, a game changer. And the third is that machine learning now ties those together. The machine is now designed to learn how to persuade you using personalized information. And fourth, we are now talking to that machine. So we are having conversations. Ah. We're talking to our our cars. We're talking to our televisions. We're talking to our mobile devices. And we are talking to a machine that is designed to learn how to persuade us using personalized information. And we need a word for that. We need to be able to talk Mm -hmm. to each other about this technology that changes us and operates on us psychologically and if you think about technology that operates on you psychologically that's psychological technology i kind of contracted that into psycho technology and you can shorten that even further to psychotech
0: well it, it is a whole new relationship that has been built within our society so briefly uh there's also a saying, William, that all retail is saying that all buyers are liars. They, they don't give you an accurate answer as to what inspires their purchase on surveys well, because in most cases, they really don't know. Uh, but data-driven marketing, that, that examines your behavior, my behavior, just, sort of just the facts, ma'am. And so is that really one of the keys to its effectiveness?
1: I like to tell people that your phone is the window to your soul. You know, we used to say the eyes are the window to the soul, but I I think of your phone as the window to your soul because you are carrying it with you. It tells me where you're going, where you've been, what you've been doing. If If I see that your phone shows up on golf courses three days a week, I can sell you ads for, you know, things that are golf merchandise related. If I see that you're going to airports, you know, three times a week, you're a business traveler and that changes how I think of you and how I deliver ads. So even if I don't know your name, even if I don't know your birthday, your phone tells me more than enough about who you are. So I trust your phone more than I trust, uh, you know, say what you might tell me about what you think or what you might buy. Your phone is a Mm. better window to your soul.
0: Wow. That is, uh, it's, undeniable and uh a little bit uh eerie particularly if you lose it <laughs> uh, anyway i i was just yeah sorry if if my i i mean supposing my my uh my phone was stolen by someone of the opposite political party my goodness anyway uh I was wondering if uh all of the the just what you have described to us that really that that cyber reach. Can go beyond marketing, can it? I mean, I, I keep thinking of, say, the, the good restaurateur who who every morning gets he checks the weather, the time of year, the holidays, traffic patterns, latest news, and sort of calculates in his head what he's gonna how, how much he's gonna have to buy for his restaurant uh, based on the number of folks he believes will come that night. Can't these behavior
1: scrutinies
0: be applied to funding and purchasing and other parts of business?
1: Absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, the technology that we're talking about is impacting uh, every walk of society from finance to uh, healthcare to uh, education to even, even as we think of the arts. And um, as we look at what AI can do, you know, you mentioned, you know, somebody that's doing some planning for their day. Think about a simple example. Think of you know, a store owner, maybe you run a pet store, and that pet store owner has a cash register. And in that cash register is stored data about the purchases made by that person's customers. Well, wouldn't it be great if you could reach in, parse that data using machine learning and turn it into something actionable that says, this is a group of people that buys pet products. This is a group of people that boards their pets when they travel And this is a group of people that buys your grooming services. And if you knew Mm. those different audiences within your cash register, you would start to be able to see that you can deliver different messaging, different marketing strategies to different customers to persuade them to do different things than they're already doing. If somebody's boarding their pet, but they're not buying your grooming services, you might put out a marketing message that says, hey, the next time you're traveling to wherever you go, Use our grooming services, and when you come back, FIDO will be, you know, fluffy and clean. So that kind of tailoring oh. of the message is something that small businesses already are starting to figure out that they can do using machine learning. And this could
0: be done relatively thriftily for the for this flower shop or pet shop owner, right?
1: Yeah, so, you know, over-the-counter, uh, off-the-shelf, uh, you know, accounting packages – are starting to incorporate artificial intelligence to help you make these kinds of business decisions. So shop around uh, the technology is blossoming and you need to be pushing your, uh, you know, your product that, that you're using for your cash register. You need to be pushing them to help you develop a, a more sophisticated approach to your marketing. And by saying you know, look at your cash register. I'm really serious. It's actually the physical cash register. It's the cash register manufacturer. It's the software on the back end of your e-commerce. All of that needs to start helping you manage your marketing.
0: Wise, I wise point, and I'm really glad you you brought that up. Uh, now, in uh, in your excellent book, The Invisible Brand, you also you, you talk about um, the Wall Street Journal measuring exactly what we you were just talking about, then and, and how a new online visitor uh, has the likelihood of becoming a, a subscriber using sixty different factors, and it seems to me as if there's got to be a lot of junk variables in in that many factors. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, the sixty possible side effects of a beneficial drug. How does the
1: machine,
0: or how do you, sift through? to find the truly
1: important factors. Well, that's where machine learning is really advantageous. For you and me, Hmm. 60 variables are almost impossible to sift through and to identify which ones are actually the key drivers or which ones are making the biggest difference. But when a machine looks at data, it can discover those patterns much more easily. And, in fact, it can dynamically discover patterns. So it's not that it discovers a pattern once and that pattern is Fixed and immutable, the machine can continuously learn and optimize and change its models based on uh, new new data and new inputs. Um, we like to break down the problem into you know machine learning broadly speaking, and this is a, a an oversimplification, but for purposes of this discussion, we can think of supervised learning and unsupervised learning. Supervised learning, simply put, is a human is teaching the computer. You got that right or you got that wrong. You give, a, you give a machine, you know, 100 x-rays, and you say, pick out the ones that have the broken bone, and the machine makes its best choices, and then you go back in and supervised learning says, okay, this is broken, this is not broken, and then the machine kind of learns from its mistakes, and then you give it a batch of a million, and you say, go pick out the broken bones, and it does much better as this, you know, supervised learning process proceeds unsupervised learning is when the machine uh, teaches itself. And um, when I say teaches itself, that's really where uh, artificial intelligence is at its most powerful is that the machine detects patterns and teaches itself or mediates itself over time gets better and better at saying uh, this X-ray is uh, an image of a tumor. This X-ray is an image of a broken bone. This X-ray is an image of, you know, inflammation. And so, you know, eventually we get to the point where the machine is actually better at picking out the patterns than the radiologist. And we are very close to Mm -hmm. that already. You know, a a machine can review billions with a B, billions of x-rays, whereas a radiologist in their lifetime might only come across, uh, you know, 100,000 or a few hundred thousand. So the the machine potentially can be dealing with a much bigger set of data to find patterns and, and, you know, kind of – learnings from that larger set of data. Machines thrive on vast quantities of data, and they can provide better insights when they're fed more and more. So that's how learning operates within the machine environment. So when you think about the Wall Street Journal, back to your question, you know, 60 variables might seem, uh, you know, overwhelming for a human, but actually that's what the machine craves. It does better when it has more information so that it can sift through and figure out which variables really are triggering this purchase? Which variables really are more, most closely associated with someone who's going to buy? What signals in this data indicate a purchase intent? Uh, so, you know, the more variables, the more data, the better from the That's my point. What
0: ones are insignificant, uh, and the machine, can, the machine will do that with, with all 60 of them?
1: Yeah, the machine is going to start to figure out which of these variables – is the most important and focus on those and help you as a business owner tailor your marketing message to change those opinions or change those attitudes uh, that are the most important. And, you know, for humans, oftentimes we find ourselves putting our finger in the wind, you know, or maybe at best uh, organizing a focus group of six people uh, and putting them in a room and saying, which of these, you know, brand campaigns do you like best? That's inferior vastly inferior to the ability of the machine to cobble together hundreds of different combinations of text and and visual messages um, and then test them in A-B testing strategies to deliver back an answer that says this image is better for this audience at accomplishing this goal. Um, and, And so when we apply science to persuasion, we can start to get much better results than we can from, again, six people sitting in a focus group with their, finger in the wind.
0: <laughs> if if you've just joined us, you are you're listening to the Art of the CEO and a marvelous William Aberman and the Art of the CEO, I must tell you, uh, comes every Tuesday at two PM Eastern time uh, across the the mighty misunderstood ether of cyberspace, where you may listen and download this, uh and all our episodes by visiting theartoftheceo.com, that's theartoftheceo.com, and actually, as an added avenue, you can also join us on C Suite Radio. We are proud members of the C Suite Radio station, and uh, where it, it's where the best solutions in the business come to you from the best in the business. So, just tune in to all our Art of the CEO episodes also on csuiteradio.com. Now, William, I I. Agree with what you've just said about the um, ability of machines to cover such a, such a vast uh, so much more than we as humans could. but I, I am haunted by the marketing guru Christian Madsberg, he's founded, founder of Red Associates, who has guided Amazon and Ford and Coke and, and literally a score of Fortune one hundreds into wildly better sales and customer connections by dumping the data-driven results and surveys, and going for an intensely personal method. And so and what I'm seeing here is it's the good marketer has to sort of blend this human instinctive wisdom with the machine data. How, how do you do that?
1: Well, you know, the machine isn't going to replace the marketer. Um, we've simply changed right. the toolkit, and the marketer has to kind of reacquaint him or herself with the newest tools. And so the challenge isn't one of figuring out that we've replaced the role of the marketer so much as we've replaced, uh, you know, the the software and the tools that they were using 10 years ago. And they've got to force themselves down the path of kind of learning a whole new set of rules. I'll give you one simple example, which we may want to come back Uh to, but that is, you know, 20 years ago, a marketer was introduced to this brand new concept, that of search. And they had to decide, am I going to embrace search engine optimization or not? And certainly those yeah. that did succeeded and those that did not failed. Um, you know, 20 years not. later, yeah. we're on the cusp, the verge of a new decision, which is the voice user interface is a method that people are using to access services. We're talking to Alexa and we're buying things and the voice based economy is rapidly growing uh, estimated to be between 80 billion and hundred billion dollars uh, in the u.s in in the next three years so by 2023 oh, okay. and when we look at that kind of change marketers have to decide am i going to get into this am i going to figure out the voice user interface it's just you know it's the same problem you You've learned everything one way, and then they change the rules on you, and you've got to actually invest your time and energy learning the next thing. And that's where marketers find themselves today is having to learn a new set of tools to leverage their own you know, skills as a, as a human marketer with the tools that are emerging and, and the cultural shift that's changing the way people interact with technology.
0: I very much like the way you describe that, and, and to put them is, is is man using his tools, uh, and the tools uh, each new tool requiring its own training, and one one aspect of uh, all this personalized marketing that is coming out. I uh, and you keep talking about personalized marketing, but I'm sort of hearing in the back in my own back of my own mind the tyranny of the norm. Uh, and this, this comes from the, the machine data. Everyone who bought this kind of jacket buys that kind of tie. And I I just look at that, and, it's, and is it really a good marketing technique to uh, persuade me and uh, my purchasing habits to follow the herd like that?
1: <laughs> We're making the long tail more powerful. So we you think there's <laughs> 8 billion people living on the planet, right? What if you had a product or service that you could sell for $1,000, but only one in a million people would buy it? Well, one in a million sounds like you're not going to make much money until you do the math, and you say, well, if there's 8 billion of us on this planet, that's 8,000 millions. And if I sell each of those 8,000 millions one product worth worth $1,000, that's $8 million. I could make $8 million on a product, a long-tail product. It just sells one in a million. So when we think about right, finding exactly. that one in a million, that's where this technology can be so helpful. And and as you put I, it, you know, I think that people have a natural resistance to being part of the herd. We don't we don't want to be yeah, perceived yeah. as just kind of, you know, there's a desire to stand out, there's a desire to be elite, that you know, there's this kind of desire mm-hmm. to wear to drive in a, a fancy car that nobody else can afford. And to, to you know wear the clothes that nobody else can afford. So when we look at branding those products, we have to think we're not trying to find one out of every hundred people. One out of a million is fine if it's worth a thousand dollars. You just made eight million bucks. I'd do that all day long. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. I, it's yeah. Numerically, uh, that pitch has merit. I, I you you won me to that one. And uh, now. There's also another part with uh, the, the other part of my, my humanity is uh, is crinkling its nose a bit. I, I think probably when the only person who would unabashedly enjoy having his personal life mined and put on display might have been Hugh Hefner. Uh, uh, but <laughs> ethics aside, if you dig, if I feel you digging into my personal life deeply enough, there's going to be a backlash. Uh, and I mean, I understand that the seller wants your data, but he he also needs my trust. And how do you advise the, the seller to handle the both the data, data digging and, and gain the trust?
1: So uh, a lot of people think of this as the creepy line. And, and as a business owner, right. uh, you don't want to cross the creepy line. In the book, I, I talk about target learning how to figure out when a woman was pregnant and sending a pregnancy mailer to a 16 year old girl and causing quite a kerfuffle with her father who was extremely irritated that uh, the target was pitching pregnancy products to his 16 year old daughter until he discovered in fact that his daughter was pregnant and the moral of that story many people take away is uh, boy you know be careful when you cross the creepy line but the moral that target took away from the story was obfuscate when you cross the creepy line, hide it, make it less obvious when you're doing this. And what they did was Mm -hmm. they said, okay, we're going to now make certain that when we send out these mailers with these pregnancy things in there, we also have gas grills and and golf clubs and things that aren't related to pregnancy so that it throws people off the trail that we're actually targeting them based on some creepy knowledge that we have about who they are. I actually, Called the uh, book "The Invisible Brand," specifically for that reason, right. because brands are now hiding their tactics and they're operating through our technology on us invisibly. They're changing how yeah. we think and what we do, but the brand isn't doing it transparently. It's doing it through this, uh, you know, layer of obfuscation. So, you know, the, I, the takeaway is you don't want it to be obvious that you're crossing the creepy line. And so one part of that is be honest with your value exchange. Uh, You know, go back to the pet store owner. If you're running a pet store, the pet store owner has a right to certain information about you. You want the pet store owner to know how to reach you in case of an emergency, where you're going, how long you're going to be gone, what your dog likes to eat. That's data that the pet store owner has a right to. And if, yeah, yeah, if the value exchange is obvious, if you, as the pet store owner, make it clear that this is a, a value exchange, then you know consumers are are happier about that relationship.
0: Right. We need your address and we need your phone number because if if Fido is injured, uh, we we want to call you instantly. Right. Yeah. Again, part of the value exchange. I say
1: transparency. It's oh boy. Uh,
0: Well, William is going to continue to reveal how data and machine driven marketing is taking. Uh, uh, it's place, uh, not just in, uh, in goods and products, but in our government religion. Right after, you and I take the brief sorbet from today's uh, Feast of Wisdom, and allow me to offer you a few utensils, if, if I may. And first utensil, as I always do, allow me to remind you that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer, of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold, may I ask, will this be the day that you find the joy in what you're achieving in your daily labors and acknowledge your own oppressive accomplishment? Or will you continue to keep your eyes only on the competitive horse race and feel the anguish of constant comparison? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. As a second utensil, I can set, sense I sense you yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste the scriptural recitation from the 102 best business quips book. And I pull it down as we speak. And here we go. All right, this is number 29. This fits. In the old days, companies pitched their products using endorsed, insincere superstars. Now they employ data-driven talking machines. Both annoy the customer, but the corporate marketers seem to trust the machines more. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think, William? Do uh, do uh, folks put greater trust in program machines, talk than than uh, superstars?
1: Well, you know, if you're uh, if you're Nike and you had Lance Armstrong as your uh, you know corporate spokesperson, you might be a little right. shy about having uh, you know the foibles of humankind presenting your brand. Uh, You know, anybody that had OJ Simpson as a corporate endorser uh, might regret that (laughs) at some point. And and so these athletes that get themselves into trouble, uh, you know, legal trouble or or doping problems, um, you know, they become a, a, a variable in the marketing mix that increasingly companies are wary of, um, you know, what are they going to say? Yeah. What are they going to do? What are they, what kind of problems are they going to get themselves into? Are they going to, you know, get a DUI? Are they going to, you know, injure somebody in a car accident? This is the kind of fear that, you know, PR agencies get paid big bucks to manage. Uh, but the, for the corporate yeah. marketer, if you can if you can harness a voice-enabled customer service chat bot, uh, you know, that right. delivers messaging and value uh, and cost half the money of what a corporate endorsement contract might cost. It's a tempting compromise, you know. It's like, well, yeah, okay, but... I know that my my chat bot isn't going to get busted doping, <laughs> right? guess
0: we'll, we'll have to figure out what what uh, what sort of scandals uh, chat bots can get into. Uh, I'm sure the, the <laughs> ladies and gentlemen of the Fourth Estate can come up with something magical. <laughs> They're very good at that. Oh, well, if you smirked about over all that quip, we've got them literally by the books full. Just visit BartsBooks.com and pick up your copy of the 102 or the 101 best business quips, and you may begin leviting your workday with a little laughter, much to the delight of all your fellow chain gangers at work. And as a third utensil, we sumptuously spooned you the answer to last week's business quotation. That is the name of the individual who said... Every poor designer can go with things that are popular at the moment. Uh, Those words were spoken by none other than the legendary fashion designer who made women around the world look even better. Oli Cassini. Congratulations all you winners and stick with us because later on in the show blurting your way comes another quotation and if you are among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or to be and email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com that's I-N-F-O at bartsbooks.com and if you're correct your knowledge will earn you a mind and soul-igniting gift freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And William Amberman is going to plunge into the ethical and privacy mire in data driven marketing right after I make this introduction uh, to you of the company by whose good graces we're here today. And that firm is Prometheus Publishing. And this week, the folks at Prometheus would like, would proudly uh, announce their Prometheus Social Enterprise Awards. Now, for those of you who neglect your Greek mythology, Prometheus was the ancient Greek titan who defied the gods and brought humankind the gift of fire, and from that light onward, there was no turning back, and the Prometheus Awards are are celebrating, really, those exceptional individuals who have developed some inventive enterprise, which is enriching and transforming our world. And uh, so save the date for Thursday, the afternoon of September 19th at the Rothman Institute of Entrepreneurism and Innovation on the Fairleigh Dickinson uh, University, Madison, New Jersey campus. You will have a chance to hear and greet and meet uh, the celebrity fitness trainer who is rescuing and training victims of of human trafficking, the major international market player who's wrenching investment works towards social responsibility, uh, the man who drops uh, unarmed peacekeepers into war zones to save civilians, an amazing group of people, uh, and to, to view these honorees and learn more about them and to register for this incredible event. Uh, simply visit Bart's that's bartsbooks.com that's b-a-r-t-s-b-o-o-k-s dot com and click on Prometheus Awards. Carpe diem my friend you are indeed worth it. And now with our utensils in hand let's return to William Ackerman as he takes us a little deeper into the invisible branding of data and machine driven marketing. Now William I, I, I have a little test for you or, or a little sort of a perhaps a case study if you will. No uh, nation is ever going to say please be a patriot because we really need the tax dollars on your sons for cannon fodder for our next war i mean that that's no way they, they may be honest but but that's not going to persuade anyone so as the psychotech marketer extraordinaire could you um take that nation and how might you design uh the basics of finding what would appeal to my patriotism and and, and develop a marketing campaign using big data machine tools. How how would you go about it?
1: I'm going to scare you to death because China is already far along in developing a social credit system. So when you think about marketing, think about what China Uh is doing already, and if you think hard enough, it will scare you to death. They are actually building a system that gives you points, scores you based on your value to Chinese society and your faithfulness to the Communist Party. Now, it's great wow. if you are contributing something that I think we can all, you know, agree would be universally valuable. If you invent new medicine, if you, uh, you know, pioneer a, a new uh, uh, surgical procedure, we're going to give you some points. But what if you come along and you speak out against the political party and your score goes down and suddenly you are deprived oh, yeah. of housing. You're deprived of uh, transportation. Oh, Maybe your the food and oh. uh, clothing that is available to you gets restricted. And so when we think of a nation, when we think of something as powerful as a, a nation state, we have to recognize that a nation that is powerful enough to score you and market to you based on your social identity can turn that score into a a currency of sorts. And if they can replace the dollars that you're paid with a social currency, they can control you in a way that they can't with an independent, uh, uh, you know, fiat currency that you can actually, you know, bury in your backyard if you want your social score um, can be used by a government to really uh, you know, manipulate you in ways that I think that uh, everyone, everyone listening, should be increasingly fearful of the potential for abuse by big government. So that would be my starting point in answering your question would be to point out the very dangerous implications of big government actors controlling social credit controlling uh a you know psychotechnology marketing campaign if you will
0: wow Uh, that is that makes clout look positively mild that's that's incredible uh it would also i just think of of what it would do uh, as the young person trying to choose his career it is uh being chosen for him uh or he is being (laughs) heavily directed into it my goodness wow at uh uh, that's it it is a it is a a frightening frightening system and uh it's it's something that we all have to be aware of. So I guess my my one question is do we need uh at this point do we uh with with this data gathering, do we in a country where this is not currently done, do we need a uh an internet magna carta? Do we need uh privacy protections or or is is the pursuit of of honest profit um, as defensible as the pursuit of freedom what's your thought
1: i would say those two are not uh, mutually exclusive i would say that uh, Ah. you know my dad taught me you know profit is about you know making something of more value out of something of less value and adam smith taught us that that is valuable to all of us because it creates wealth. The creation of wealth benefits us all. Um, So when we think about the invisible hand, which, by the way, uh, heavily influenced the name of my book, The Invisible Brand, um, I, I would have to say that the pursuit of profit is in many ways tied to the pursuit of freedom. We're talking about the freedom to turn something of lesser value into something of greater value. And that benefits everyone. So when we think about those two things, I don't want to put them in conflict with one another. I, I would I would reframe it to say those two things go hand in hand. But back to your question about data privacy, I think that nations, uh, the European Union, for example, with the GDPR, um, and the state of California with its you know privacy regulations, have started to try to wrestle with how do we codify privacy in a way that turns it into almost a right. Uh, and, and you know, Tim Berners-Lee, the father of the World Wide Web, uh, has famously right. called for an Internet Magna Carta. Um, and right. there are a lot of folks, myself included, who believe that there are certain levels of protection needed to, uh, you know, ensure that individuals aren't being unduly manipulated and that their data isn't being used against them without their knowledge and permission. And I think that we can all agree that there are these transparent cases, obvious cases, where you do want to share your data. You do want the dog sure. or the pet store to know where you're going to be when you need to be reached, what your telephone number is. But what you don't want is after you've returned your dog, you, you don't want the pet store owner Tracking you secretly and you know clandestinely photographing you through your windows. So you know there's this creepy right, right. line that we all sense is being violated by this technology. And I think that what consumers want most is some assurance that we're not being spied on without our knowledge. Yes,
0: yes. The uh, Find My Phone means find me anywhere I want, kind of thing. You yeah, know. Yeah. I see. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's it's a very good answer and we need and you you sort of give me hope because i think there is such a commonality in in what you've said where that creepy line where it is crossing it there is a general feel and i think uh, the vast majority of us have that so i think there will be the, so when the rules are made it, it will not be uh be very unclear and, and uh, as as it uh as they need to be um, now I, I wanted to uh just talk a little bit uh could you uh, if, i I sometimes view uh well with any tool you talked about the uh the digital marketer uh, having a good having good tools and and being one more tool. I always think of uh trying to drive a screw with a hammer, and the what I keep hearing from the dig, big data boys is uh well. If if the if you're not if the screw isn't going in with a hammer you need a larger hammer or you need more hammers, but uh, could you give us some examples of miss of of the wrong use of a digital algorithm that was actually going to cloud the picture uh, of potential customer desires rather than enlighten?
1: Sure. Um, first, as a maxim, I would tell you that data is not universal. Uh, we have not reach the point where we know everything about everybody. And so it's a mistake to think that. And, uh, and so, you know, cookies are coming into existence, going out of existence. They, they don't last forever. People clear their caches, they clear their cookies. Um, You know, our mobile devices are increasingly, uh, people are becoming wary of giving certain permissions to different apps to track their location, et cetera. So um, it would be, you know, a, a falsehood to believe that somehow somebody out there has universal knowledge about everybody. Uh, So that's a myth that needs to be uh, disbanded. Data is not universal. However, um, there are true applications where data is better and data is not so good. And I'll just give you one simple example where uh, you can misuse data to lead you to incorrect conclusions. And uh, we, we call this kind of the fallacy of the local maximum. So I'll, I'll, I'll illustrate the fallacy of the local maximum by saying if I set you down in, the, you know, a, a state park and I said I want you to climb to the top of the tallest hill, you might think, well, I'm just going to start going up, and when I've stopped going up, I've reached the top of the, uh, of the tallest hill. But the truth is you might reach a local maximum, which means you might reach a local hill, but there might be a bigger hill in the state park, uh, but you have to go downhill to get to that bigger hill, right? So this idea right. of just keep going up uh, until you reach the top doesn't work for reaching the highest point. And when we think about programming right. a computer, you say pursue this you know, marketing message that delivers the best you know, uh, KPI and it'll just go in one direction. It'll look for which one goes up until it stops going up. We call that reaching a local maximum. But there might have been a better strategy. And now I'll illustrate that From personal experiences, I ran an advertising campaign for a window manufacturer. I won't tell you who it is, but um, that window manufacturer had three, uh, you know, marketing pitches. Number one, they were tapping into the tax rebate for the Energy Star program, which gave consumers a $1,500 rebate if they installed new windows. Uh, The second was they would offer a $200 fixed price per window installed, and the third is they would offer a free home installation estimator. Come out and measure all the windows in your home. Now, I ran the campaign, and I made the local maximum mistake. I ran the campaign, and I discovered that one of those was getting clicked on the most. So I started shifting the campaign in the direction of the ad that was getting clicked on the most. And the ad that was getting clicked on the most, incidentally, was the ad about the tax savings. And what people were doing was they were clicking on it and they were learning about this tax rebate. They weren't necessarily shopping for Windows, but they were learning about the tax rebate. Right, the one right, right. Uh-huh. that actually produced the most sales. And what we did was, after we figured out what we had done wrong, we kind of went back and figured out okay, follow this all the way through to its logical conclusion and figure out which one is actually producing the most sales at the cash register. And you know, the one that was producing the most sales at the cash register was getting the installer into the home to measure the windows. Because when sure. they came back to the consumer with this beautiful uh, layout of all their windows, all the technical specifications, the consumer suddenly felt convinced that these guys really know what they're doing, and they had met the installer and they bought the windows.
0: And, so we and, hit and that worked using. William, I'm going yes. to I'm mm-hmm. going to interrupt you because okay, we're we're coming coming close, and I want to make very sure that uh, your excellent book, The Invisible Brand: Marketing in the Age of Automation, Big Data, Machine Learning. If you could tell us a where we can get a copy, and if I want to learn further, have you come speak or perhaps do uh, do consulting? How can I also get in touch with you?
1: Simply say Alexa, buy The Invisible Brand by William Ammerman. And it'll arrive on your doorstep <laughs> tomorrow morning. Or go visit my website, Whammerman.com. Wammerman is my first initial W for William. My last name, Ammerman, A-M-M-E-R-M-A-N.com.
0: Well, that is uh, something I heartily recommend to all those who want to take advantage of the newest and uh, one of the most effective tools in marketing. Uh, So go for it. It's certainly, as I say, carpe diem. You are indeed worth it. So, William, thank you very much for coming on. It has been a truly enlightening episode as, as always.
1: A real pleasure. Thank you.
0: All right. You take good care. Now, As we round out today's feast, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's business quotation. That is, who was it who said, those who believe they are exclusively in the right are generally those who achieve something? (laughs) Interesting. Uh, This author uh, of The Brave New World, uh, it's a hint to the author, of this quote, he was also the author of The Brave New World, which painted a nightmarish picture of our future. He got the fear right, but got some of the details wrong. And if you know the author of that quote, just scribble it right on down and mail it off to info at bartsbooks.com to win a career igniting gift from the dungeons of Bart's Book bookstore. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, When you're starting up the ladder, you dream of fame accompanying your achievement. When you finally achieve it, you dream of anonymity, which seems particularly true in the corporate world. And to you gleefully sharing our feasts, I hope you've enjoyed The Art of the CEO as much as uh, William and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. Remember, you may download this and all our shows by visiting The Art of the CEO. And finally, to you who have honored us with your time, may I say, as always, it has been a privilege, and I thank you.